Please pray with me. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for this evening, and we thank you for all of the things that you do for us, your blessings, your grace that abounds towards us, that is never-ending. Oh, Lord God, I pray that you would move in our hearts even now, fill us with your peace and your joy that comes to us by your grace again, Lord, I pray that you would move and comfort us, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us as we look to you. And as we look and see the things that you are doing even in our midst, we thank you for the CT scan that came back clear and other things that you have done amongst us this week. I pray that we would be encouraged by that, that you would lift us up, that you would help us to focus upon you, keep our eyes upon you, and help us, O Lord, to go forward giving glory to you in all things. We magnify and exalt your name. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be looking at the glories of heaven. We're going to start this tonight, and our first passage of Scripture is going to be John chapter 14. So if you can uh, turn to John chapter 14, we can look at the passage there. And as I read the passage, what I'd like for us to do is just kind of take note of some of the things that it says concerning what Jesus says he's going to do for us. Now, we're going to be focusing on heaven, and uh, hopefully this will be kind of an encouraging uh, series as we consider what we have to look forward to when we move on from this life onto the next life. So look at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3 as I read it, and then I'll ask you to just kind of mention some of the things that stand out to you about what Jesus has promised us from this passage. So John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. So what do you think from this passage? Anything stand out to you? Maybe that is encouraging or uh, comforting or just kind of exciting, something to look forward to. What do you got? Anybody? The what? Yeah, the day that we're waiting for. Yeah, this is great. This is, a, this is hope. This is an anticipation of what this, uh, this great thing that the Lord is going to do for us. Susan? Yeah. That's the whole point. Right. right. Yeah. But I don't know. I wonder what is the Greek word for mansion? Do they mean mansion like we think of a mansion? <laughs> Hold on to that question and I'll talk about it in a moment. That's a good question. Yeah. The thought of having a mansion, right? That's exciting. You were talking about being with Jesus, but it's that mansion that you're really looking at, right? <laughs> or two, right? <laughs> All right, good. Oh, what I also would like for you to do is just, if you have any questions as we move through this series, it'll, it might be maybe two or three weeks, but if you have any questions about what heaven would be like, um, maybe write it down and, and uh, let me know so that I can work it into, uh, into the study as we go through it. All right, so hold on to that mansion question. I'll come back to that in a minute. Alan, did you have something? Yeah. Because there's all this bad stuff we're going to warn you about what happens. 
Right. But I'm planning it, and it'll be okay. Yeah. It, it's going to look horrible on the outset, but once we get through all this, it will be... I, I have right. Well, the fact that he denies the Lord, I mean, after following him, and you know that Peter loved Jesus, and yet, you know, he falls and he denies, denies him. Uh, that's really hard, and we read about the agony that Peter went through in that. But Jesus knew about it, and even though he knew about it, he offers this word of comfort. And this is the great thing about our salvation, that our salvation is not based upon our works, right? It, it is based upon the grace of Jesus and the forgiveness that he has given us. And even if we should fail, like Peter failed, there is still the comfort and the hope that he is coming back for me. Praise the Lord for that. that. That's the grace of God. It is not based on my perfection or my ability. It is based on the work that he has done on my behalf. So praise the Lord for that. Good. Anything else that stand out, stands out here? Yeah? Yeah, that's right. This is, a, this is a comfort. This is a message of comfort. Let not your heart be troubled. That, that's just wonderful. That's right. Don't, don't uh, fret. And uh, I guess, you know, we could look at the circumstances of our life and, and it could be quite a downer sometimes. But Jesus says to us, let not your heart be troubled. That, that, that's just such an encouraging word. Good. Anything else? Um, notice how it's a response to faith, all right? So this is, this is a, there's still an engagement that we have to enter into. So Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You, what, in God? You believe in God. Believe also in me. So here's the aspect of faith. This promise that we read in these three verses is not for the whole entire world. Now, you know that there, is, there are some people who believe that the blood of Jesus saved, saves everybody, right? There, there's this, it's called universalism, and they believe that everybody is saved, that God will not allow anybody to perish. But that's not what the Bible teaches. There is no universalism, the salvation of every single person. There is this necessity of faith or having belief in Him. And uh, we can, we can uh, be encouraged still because we believe. I mean, after all, here we are and we love the Word of God and we love Jesus and we love you know, serving Him and we do what we can. We don't do it perfectly, obviously, but we strive to do the best that we can. That's because we believe in, in Him. We're not like the rest of the world who just rejects Him or doesn't think about Him or hates Him or whatever. So there's a faith component. This is, this is a response to faith. These disciples, they were following him because they loved Jesus. And even though Peter's going to deny him, that did not, uh, that was sin, but it did not remove him from being Jesus, belonging to Jesus, right? So that's great. Um, Susan brought up this uh, mansion. Uh, so, you know, we read this, there are many mansions and we think, ooh, yes, you know, I'm finally going to have a decent place to live, right? But uh, let's see. So what does this mean, the many mansions? This word mansion, it's actually used twice in the New Testament. And it, the, the meaning is a place where one might stay. So the idea is that of arriving somewhere and being able to remain there, having a place that is given or a place where you can go and you can 
remain. So it could, it could be translated a dwelling place. It could be translated a room. It could be translated a house. It could be translated a mansion. Anywhere where you can come and remain and dwell. Now, why do you think the translators used the word mansion here in this, in this verse rather than house or room? Why do you think is that? Actually, some of your versions might have the word room in it. Anybody have the word room? What translation do you have? Do you know? ESV. ESV. All right, you guys can have your little room. I'm going for the mansion over there across the street. But uh, So some of the translations have the word room. But why does the King James or the New King James... What does the NIV have? Mansion? Oh, my goodness. Well, how do you know I said mansion? Oh. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> All right, you got me on that one. All right, there you go. Um, so why, why do you think the translator used the word mansion in this verse? Why do you think? Anybody have an idea? I mean, we don't know, of course, for sure, but anybody have an idea? High expectations of what? Of heaven, yes. That's why. Because we're talking about heaven. And heaven, in all of our you know, imaginings, is a great and glorious place, right? So it's not going to be some little dinky shack in the backyard. It's got to be some kind of mansion, right? And it could be possibly. There's another possibility. Uh, we're talking about the Father's house. And like they used to do uh, maybe in the old... Um, in the old times, in Bible times, you would have a, a house, and when, the, when a child of the father was married and began his own family, they would add an addition to the father's house. And so the family, you know, the new family would move into that new portion of the house. And so, you know, the father's house would kept, keep on, you know, growing and expanding based on, um, you know, the family growing and expanding. It might be similar to, you know, you have the, the patriarch has a plot of land, and so the son grows up, he gets married, and then he is apportioned a part of that plot. So it's that kind of idea. So we're talking about heaven, and here we are as believers, and as we prepare to go there, we are one of his children, and in uh, expectation of our arrival, there is a place that is carved out in the part of the Father's house that will belong to us. And uh, uh, I tell you what, whether it's a shack or a mansion or a room, or it doesn't matter to me, just the fact that he's got a place that he is making specifically for me, that, that's just remarkable. That, that's, uh, that's a glorious thought. All right, so, oh, and one other thing that's implied in this word, it is a place of rest. So I can arrive I've got my place given to me, and I can relax and rest there. So that's, that's a great picture of heaven. I said uh, this, word, this word is used twice in the New Testament. The other place is found in John chapter 14, verse 23. And this will kind of give you a context by which we can understand what Jesus is saying when he goes to prepare a place for us, what kind of place? So in John chapter 14, verse 23, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and will come to him and make our, and here's the word, home with him. 
So we could take the word mansion and stick it in here if that is the correct understanding. We will come to him and make our mansion with him. But you can see that it's not so much the, the actual what kind of building it is that we get. It's really talking about the fact that you're coming together, you get your place, and you are living there. You're remaining there. So that, that's kind of the idea behind the word. And uh, for those of you interested, it just shows a little bit of the challenge or the difficulty of understanding what a word means and how it should be translated. And you can have two different verses and and have uh, maybe a little bit of a different understanding there. So what we get is that there's a place prepared especially for us. He will come and get us to take us there, and we will be with him forever. What What a great promise. John chapter 14 Verses 1 through 4 are for us. All right, let's move on. So we consider the glories of heaven, and we think about what heaven is, and obviously when we consider what heaven is, well, heaven is the place where God is, right? It's His place. Uh, I, I have to say, um, you know, the, a, lot of, a lot of people in the world, they, they just kind of have this expectation, well, if God's a loving God, you know, well, how can he not allow me to go to heaven? And uh, every time I hear something along those lines, it, it's like I picture somebody just kind of coming over to my house and pounding on the door and just kind of opening the door and saying, well, you know, how could you refuse me to come into your house to live there with you? And here, here I am. It's like, what are you doing? Why are you coming into my house kind of thing? You, you know what I mean? It, it just seems like that, that attitude that God must let me into heaven is as presumptuous as somebody just kind of walking into my house and, you know, just saying, I'm going to live with you from now on, you know. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I, I think it just arises from a misunderstanding of what heaven is. This is the place where God lives. It is his place. He made it for him, and he invites who he will uh, to come and to be with him. Now, the word heaven, in, interestingly enough, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is not just a word that is used to refer to the heaven where God is. It has three, three uses in Scripture. So one use is that when it uses this word heaven, so in the original language it's the same word, but sometimes it is used to refer to the place where the birds fly. Okay? So uh, I'll give you some examples of these. This first one here, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 33. And like I said, in Hebrew and in Greek, it's the same thing. So uh, we have the same idea. In, in other words, heaven is beyond the ground. And it could, you know, first of all, refer to the place where the birds fly. So the corpses of this people will be food for the birds of the heaven. You see that? The birds of the heaven. So it's, it's just using that word. In some of your translations, they might use the word sky or, you know, they fly through the air or something like that. But it's the word for heaven. And in this uh, verse, it uses the word heaven. But it's talking about, you know, the atmosphere here where the birds fly. That's heaven for the be- and for the beasts of the earth. So you see this contrast between the air where the birds fly and the ground where the, the animals roam. And no one will frighten them away. So now... Even though there are these three uses, it's pretty easy to distinguish most of the time which one is in view. So, if the first use of heaven, this word heaven, is a reference to the sky where the birds fly, anybody want to hazard a guess of where the second heaven is? Uh, 
space. That's right, where the stars are, right? The universe, the, the outer space. So in Genesis chapter 22, verse 17, it says, Blessing, this is God to Abraham, Blessing, I will bless you, and multiply, and I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. So here it uses the word heaven, and it's using the word heaven to refer to the, the universe, you know, where the stars are. And uh, the sand which is on the, sa- uh, on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. All right, so that's the second use of the word heavens. You have uh, the first one, the air where the birds fly. The second is space where the stars fly. And the third one is the place where God dwells. And this is the one, of course, when we think of heaven that we're wanting to focus on. In Psalm 103, verse 19, it says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. And of course, when we consider this passage and many, many, many others like it, heaven is the place where God dwells. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, so let's turn there in our Bibles, except for Susan who can't. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Oh, look, she got one. She found one in the pew. All right, in the chair. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. And this is an interesting passage, and most people think that Paul is referring to himself even though he's not uh, um, referring to himself directly, but... Here's the passage it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 1. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not law, it is not lawful for a man to utter. So here's a man who had a vision, and like I said, a lot of people just believe that Paul is kind of modestly not mentioning that it was him. Um, but whether it was him or somebody else, it doesn't matter. But notice how it says this man was caught up to the third heaven. And of course, that's the heaven that is a reference to where God is. The word paradise in uh, verse 4 just kind of uh, confirms it or associates it with the heaven where God is. And, and he heard these uh, inexpressible words which he, this person is not allowed or was not allowed to, to say. But the point of the, the passage is that here is one that actually makes reference to the third heaven because in their minds... In that day, that heaven could be the place where the birds are, or the place where the stars are, or the third heaven would be the place where God is. And, and he makes that reference here in this passage. So, heaven then, as we're focusing on, it is the place of the glorious presence of God. The place of the glorious presence of God. So, here are a couple of more verses. Psalm 33, verses 13 and 14. The Lord looks from heaven, he sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. So God is in heaven, and he looks down upon the earth. Heaven is his place, his dwelling. He looks down upon the earth, which is our place, our dwelling. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And this is part of the Lord's prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven... 
So it's just kind of a part of our prayer, uh, the, the Lord's Prayer that He gave to us when we're referring to God, when we're referring to the Father, we are referring to the one who dwells in heaven. Now, why is that important? Why is it important to make God the one who dwells in this place called heaven? Why is that important? I mean, couldn't God establish heaven, and some people believe this, right here in our midst, in another dimension, the spiritual dimension, which is right here, and we can't see it because we don't have access to this spiritual dimension, but this is, there is no heaven, it's just you know, the spiritual dimension in this place in which we're created. Why, why does the Bible, when it talks about heaven, not talk about it like that, but talks about it as this place where God dwells? Why do you think? Yeah, Jennifer. Okay, so so there's. I think you're right. In in the sense, there's here on this earth, there is. It's deficient, right? It's there. It's lacking. And we all know that as we live our, our lives during the, the course here. And it truly is lacking, you know, because we're talking about this earthly, physical place that has been touched by sin. And that's primarily the reason why it's lacking, because it has been broken by sin. But maybe one of the reasons why we talk about this heaven, because there is a place where God dwells, which has not been tainted by sin, and we have the hope and the expectation that we will go to that place. All right, that's one place. Well, I mean, one possibility. What else? What else? Why else might we be talking about this place, heaven, where God dwells? Tyson? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, good. There, there's a certain sense in which God is a transcendent God, and, and therefore he's got to be big, bigger. And now, again, this is just kind of from our perspective of things, he's got to be bigger than this earth. There, there's got to be more than God than what is here. And so we have this transcendent God who lives in this transcendent place that he has built for himself. Okay, now I'm going to come back to that idea in a second, but um, but yeah, I like that. I like that. Okay, what else? Any other possibilities of why we talk about a heaven? Yeah. The opposite thing. Okay, yeah. All right. So you have you have a all right. So so you have a place, uh, hell, where the unrighteous go because of their sin, and then you have another place, which is the good place, where those who have their sins forgiven, they go, and there has to be this because you have people, like we said a moment ago, not everybody is saved. No, not everyone escapes the sinful 
sinfulness and the judgment that comes upon them for their sinfulness. And so there's this place in which they will um, experience judgment forever, whereas for those who believe in God will go to be in His presence and not experience judgment, but will experience what? What? Blessing and comfort and peace and joy and all of these things where we will finally have escaped the corruptions of this world and we will enter the place where God dwells, which of course He is a perfect God, and the place where He dwells is a perfect place. We will finally escape and enter into His presence. Court, do you have your hand up? Yeah, hold on to that question because I'm going to talk about that as well. All right, that's a, that, is a good, that is a good question or a good thought. All right, any other, any other reasons or any other ideas as to why we might be talking about uh, heaven? All right, well, let's go on. So what is heaven like? Now, if you remember from one of my... Well, I'm going to stop here, actually. So we're going we're gonna to pick it up here next time, Lord willing. And we're going to talk about what heaven is like. And right now we're just... We're going, to, we're going to focus on some of the aspects of what the Bible says heaven is like, and we'll touch on, uh, I like the spiritual dimension question, and some of, there was one other thing. We'll, we'll come back to those, and um, there's some really exciting things. And there are some perceptions, and, and this, is, this is where I want us to, if you have any questions, just kind of make a note of them and, and uh, let me know somehow, because there are some perceptions that people have of what heaven is going to be like, and I want to be able to address address some of them. And I think some things are, you know, like today, I think everything that we covered was pretty, eh, you know, we already know this. But uh, there are other things I think that we might be surprised, actually, as to what it means when we'll go to heaven. All right? Well, let's pray and we'll finish here.